All right, you guys ready for a little Bible study this morning? Um, I've been really inspired lately. You know, in 2019, the theme for the church is going to be the year of boldness. And so I've been doing a lot of study in the Old Testament because you read about some of these prophets and you get the vibe that they were some of the boldest men of the Bible. And so I've been doing some study, especially on Isaiah. And so we're going to be going through some passages in Isaiah this morning. Amen? Amen. You know, growing up for me, um, you know, as kids, we're always taught to obey the authority, right? And you got different authorities in your life. You got mom, you got dad, you got teachers, you got your boss. And you got all these different authorities, grandma, grandpa. And yet, for, for, for usually for most people, there was that one person that just got your attention more than anybody else. And for me growing up, that was my dad. My dad had one rule in our house as, as we were growing up, my sister and I, and that was complete obedience. And my dad's uh, definition of obedience was you do what you're told, when you're told, how you're told, and with a great attitude. And if you're missing any of those, it's disobedience and there was discipline. Amen? You know, so for me, growing up, I, I'll listen to everybody. I'll, I'll, I'll usually obey at some point. But when dad said something, you listen up and you do exactly as you're told. You know, for the Jews, that's how it was when they listened to the prophet Isaiah. You see, Isaiah is quoted more than any other prophet in the New Testament. In fact, Isaiah is quoted 55 times in the New Testament. The next closest prophet quoted is Zechariah with a whopping seven times. And the way that they did it is there would be a lot of teaching, but if the hammer needed to be dropped, they would quote Isaiah. And that would just about shut everybody up. If Isaiah said it, that settled it. The title of our message this morning is Isaiah said so. Look over in Romans chapter 15. You know, that was one of my dad's favorite lines. Dad, why are you making me do this? Because I said so. Dad, I don't want to do this. Why are, you, why are you making us go over here and do all these things? Because I said so. And for the Jews, when they hear Isaiah, they would be totally obedient. In Romans chapter 15, we'll start our study here in verse 7. And you should know, Paul quoted Isaiah more than anybody else, 34 times. And 19 of those times are in the book of Romans alone. Let's read here together in verse 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews, on behalf of God's truth, to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Again, it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. And sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, Christ 
has accepted us. Amen? Amen. And because Christ has accepted us, we ought to accept one another. And that was Paul's argument. It's just that simple. He goes, listen, the only reason you need to get along with your brothers and sisters is the fact that Christ has accepted you, that Christ gets along with you. And if Christ can get along with you, then you can get along with anybody. He says right here, why is that so? So that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. You know, for a lot of us, that idea of glorifying God still mystifies us. We're not totally sure what that means. And you should know a couple things. Number one, power is unseen, but glory is manifested power. And so when the scriptures tell us to glorify God, there is an action implied. You know, God's mercy alone makes him worthy of our glorification. And I think that we need a deeper conviction about this because Paul right here quotes several different passages of the Old Testament. And then he drops the hammer and he says, Isaiah says, and we know that when Isaiah says, that settles it. Amen. What does this mean? Well, to glorify God isn't just to acknowledge God's praiseworthiness, but it's ultimately to put a value on God. You're going to now ascribe an attribute, a substance to that value that you put on God. In other words, how much is God worth to you? How much you glorify God is completely determined by how much God is worth to you. You see, somebody that didn't really glorify God all that much would be, let's swing the pendulum and say Judas. See, to Judas, God was not worthy of praise. In fact, he sold Jesus Christ, he was a sellout. Let's swing the pendulum again. Who glorified God the most? Well, Jesus did. What did he do? He gave, he wasn't looking for a prophet. He gave his own life on the cross to glorify God. He was sold out. And that really is the description that we have in our commitment to Jesus. How much are you going to glorify God? Are you going to be a sellout? Or are you going to be sold out? And that is the swing of the pendulum. And all of us lie somewhere in the middle. That we are on that scale to determine how committed we are. How much we value God is directly determined by are you looking to gain something? Or are you looking to give everything? Our hearts, of course, need to be like Jesus and be sold out and be totally committed because he is worth it. Amen? Amen. Now let's break down these passages a little bit that he references here. In verse 9, he quotes David from 2 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 50. David's saying this, and it says, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. The, the context of this passage is actually pretty awesome. David is going about from victory to victory to victory. In fact, they're having so many victories against the enemy, the Philistines, that all of David's right-hand guys come together and they encircle David and they say, listen, David, today we make a vow that you will not go to battle with us anymore. It's time that you take a break. You've done your dues. 
And so David then stayed home while they went out and conquered battle after battle after battle. Two main cities in Philistia, Gob and Gath. And they went out and they conquered these battles in the name of David. Meanwhile, David's at home writing music. And David sings these words that God would be praised amongst all the Gentiles. Well, then he quotes in verse 10. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with this people. Now, this is a song that Moses sang. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse verse 43, Moses completes the law, gives it to the people, and then he warns them a day is going to come when you're going to rebel against the will of God. And then he writes this song, and he assembles all of Israel together, and he goes, guys, we're all going to come together today, and I'm going to sing you the song that I wrote. And the Bible says that he sang the whole song from beginning to end in front of every Israelite of their day. And these were the words that he sang in verse 43. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Now that's pretty cool. David was singing. Moses was singing. And then verse 11 is another song of David. And Paul steals this one from the shortest chapter in the whole Bible, Psalm 117. It's only two verses. And the first verse says this, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. What's the message here that Paul has? If God can have mercy on you, then you can have mercy on one another. This is a message for building family, for tightening up relationships, for not treating each other like this is a social club, for not just showing up and then taking off and I'll see you next week. This is all about relationships. And you see, because how much you glorify God is directly related to the amount of value you put on him, one could say that your relationships with one another are in direct parallel to your relationship with God. Now, David sang, Moses sang, David sang again, but Isaiah says, again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, the Gentiles will hope in him. You see, we have a hard time with this because we grew up in a society where uh, uniqueness and individuality is very praised. See, the Jews got it, because from day one, Jews are trained to be in a community, to be in a family, to be best friends, to treat every single man like your brother and every single woman like your sister. But the Gentiles and the Greeks were not raised that way. They were living lives full of polygamy. They were living lives full of incest. There There were no boundaries. Their sins were limitless. In fact, Paul also says in Romans that at some point they just started inventing ways to sin, doing doing things that nobody else ever thought of, and then praising themselves for doing so. And we grew up in a society very similar, where we don't understand this expectation for family. So we think that church is like a class, or like a job, or like a social club, or a basketball team, or you just kind of show up sing a few songs, and go home. And that was the problem that Paul was trying to address. 
No, Gentiles. Christ has accepted you. And you need to now accept one another and have deep relationships. Verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. What makes this so? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. David saying, Moses saying, David saying again, but Isaiah says it, so that settles it. Amen? Amen. You know, the truth is that God is worthy of all of our praise, all of our glorifying commitment because of his great mercy in our lives. You know, Isaiah's book is full of so many incredible prophecies that many scholars read it and they go, there is no way that this wasn't written before things happened. There's no way. This had to have been been written after all of the events that it talks about. And yet the oldest, oldest manuscripts for Isaiah date all the way back to about 750 B.C. And then the events that it's talking about took place about 200 years later. You want to see an example? Let's go to Isaiah chapter 44. You guys are a little quiet this morning. I don't know if it's warm in the room or if this is going over your head or you're taking a lot of notes, but this is, a, this is, this is pretty awesome stuff right here. Okay. Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 24. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord who has made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of diviners. Who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into nonsense. Who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers. Who says of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited. Of the towns of Judah, they shall be built. And of their ruins, I will restore them. Who says to the weary deep, to the watery deep, be dry. And I will dry up your streams. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt. And of the temple, let its foundations be laid. Let's break this down a little bit. Because some of you guys are reading this like, what is going on? (laughs) Verse 24 is interesting. Everything is in past tense. He says, I made all things. I stretched out the heavens. Who spread out the earth. But then verse 25 to 26 is all present tense. This is what God is doing right now. And then from the middle of verse 26 through the end of verse 28, it's all talking about the future. What does this tell us? God is outside of time. And this prophecy of Isaiah is amazing because it's not just talking about what happened or what's happening or what's going to happen. Because God is outside of time. He's created time. He can tell us all about the future. And one of the things it mentions right here is some guy named Cyrus. Now, who is Cyrus? Well, history tells us that Cyrus was king of Persia. And that didn't even happen. Until 200 years later. Isaiah prophesied not about a nation. Not that a king 
but he gave the exact name of the king of a nation that would be used by God to free his people, and they hadn't even been oppressed yet. In 722 BC, Israel was exiled by the Assyrians. From 606 to 587 BC, Judah was exiled by the Babylonians. The northern and the southern kingdoms were then united in exile in Babylon. And then after 70 years of exile, in 536 BC, Cyrus, the king of Persians, releases the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem to, just like it says, to make all God's ways straight and to rebuild God's city of Jerusalem and to set the exiles free. If that doesn't build your faith, I don't know what will. (laughs) This was not altered. This was not changed. These are original manuscripts from 750 B.C. Look in chapter 45, verse 1. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. Verse 13, I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free, but not for a price or reward, says the Lord Almighty. That right there is an amazing prophecy because Cyrus just out of goodwill, let all the Israelites go back home to rebuild Jerusalem. When so many other kings throughout the Old Testament asked, what am I going to get out of this? And yet he was the one exception prophesied about by Isaiah 200 years prior. Let me tell you guys something. If Isaiah says it, that settles it. You guys with me here? All right, I got some points for you this morning. Point number one, Isaiah says, stop the madness. Look over at Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 14. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me, and I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my face from you, my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. I don't know if he means to rhyme throughout the Old Testament, but it's pretty awesome when he does. You know, one of the common themes throughout all of Isaiah is repentance. Changing. Stopping what you're doing. Stop the madness. You see, the heart of Isaiah is portrayed as the heart of God, which is stop doing the same things over and over and over, expecting different results. It's insanity and it's madness. And for us as disciples, we need to look into our lives and stop the madness. We have habits, worldly habits that we brought into the kingdom. And it's not necessarily wrong, but it can lead you down a wrong path. You know, so many people, are more worldly than they even think they are because these habits have just become part of our lifestyle and who we are. You know, there's a lot of people nowadays that want to claim that they're introverted. I put before you, there's far less people introverted than than you think. They're not introverted. They're selfish. They're not introverted. They're selfish. They just want to stay to themselves. They don't, they want to be isolated. They don't want to talk to anybody. Let me tell you, that's, that's not even the heart of an introverted person. That's just flat selfishness. 
Proverbs chapter 19, verse 22 says, Every man desires an unfailing love. You don't get unfailing love when you lock yourself in your room, when you push everybody away, when you ignore phone calls. That's not being introverted. That's being selfish. You know, this is a big issue in our world today. Selfishness is the root of so many sins. But it's also the root of so much destruction. Things like depression are rooted in selfishness. Now, I'm not saying some people aren't born with some disabilities that will make them depressed. But most people are just flat selfish, and it leads down a road of depression. You know, here's some facts for the United States, the most selfish country in the world. Over 18 million adults are affected by severe depression. Depression is the leading cause of disability for ages 15 to 44. 41,000 people commit suicide every year in America because of depression. Just to give you a little perspective, homicide was less than 16,000. Over $100 billion was lost in our economy just because depressed people called in to work and didn't go. Suicide among men occurs four times much more than women. Every day, 3,500 Americans attempt suicide. This is, this is, the issue is not being introverted. You can, you can be an introvert and be an awesome disciple. The issue is selfishness. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, who we are following the most selfless man who was totally sold out, gave his life on the cross, let me tell you, you can be an introvert like Thomas and be an awesome disciple of Jesus. You don't have to be an extrovert type A personality like Peter ready to rebuke Jesus at the end of all of his sermons. You can be an awesome disciple of Jesus as an introvert, but not as a selfish introvert. We need to get a conviction that our selfishness not only destroys us, but it tears down the kingdom. We need not to repent of being introverted. We need to repent of our sheer selfishness. You guys with me here? We've got to teach people about the grace of God, about the love that we have in his kingdom, that the forgiveness that we can show one another because Christ has accepted us, we can accept one another. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, the kingdom is for you. Amen? Amen. Isaiah said, stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. And if he said it, that settles it. Amen? Amen. Point number two. Isaiah says, wash yourself clean. You know, in verse 16 right here, he says, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. You know, throughout Isaiah, you'll see words like wash, purify, cleanse. These are all references to water. There is no coincidence here. There is a direct correlation between how they thought about water and how they thought about purification. And the Jews truly believed in purification. In fact, there are many different things, obstacles, if you will, things that they had to do in order to purify themselves because they took it that seriously. In Isaiah 54, we're not going to go through it, but he discusses the flood of Noah's day and how it destroyed all of the world. A lot of times we think of water as something that cleans and purifies. 
The only reason that it cleans and it purifies is because it destroys all the dirt, all the grime, and all the filth that we are covered with in the world. And so when you read about these sort of things in the Bible, you've got to first accept the bad news that you're a sinner before you can accept the good news to get clean. Amen? Amen. You know, baptism in the Greek is bautizo. It means to be fully submerged. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter talks about the floodwaters of Noah's day as well. And how those waters were now symbolic of the waters of baptism that we undergo today. Today, we have the opportunity to, just like Isaiah says, wash ourselves clean. If you haven't been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you have not been washed clean. And let me tell you, when you get washed clean, it is an awesome feeling. I mean, we're not in it for the feelings and everything, but it is an awesome feeling to get all the guilt to get all the bad feelings from your past, to come into a place where you are totally accepted because, man, Christ accepted all of us. Isaiah said, get baptized. And if Isaiah says it, that settles it. Amen? Isaiah also says, never lose hope. Look at Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow, not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. What is the secret? Well, he tells us, put your hope in the Lord. You go, well, that's, that's tough for me to do. Let me, let me just give you guys some facts that might encourage a little hope this morning. Amen? Amen. You realize that over the last 200 years, scientists have dug up over 4,000 archaeological sites, each just to prove the Bible all the more. Almost 800 years before Jesus died, it was said by a prophet that he would be betrayed for exactly 30 pieces of silver. And that's exactly what happened. And the thing was, Judas, in his knowledge did not know that passage, and then therefore go to the guards and say, hey, give me 30 pieces of silver, and I'll give you Jesus. He went to the guards and said, I know where Jesus is. And they said, what do you want? And he said, what do you got? And they said, all we have is 30 pieces of silver, which fulfilled the prophecy. There are also over 800 other prophecies, almost 1,000, that have all come true from the Old Testament. Evolution says that a monkey became a man. What are the chances that at the same time a monkey became a woman and they just happened to come across each other to create the human race? Think about that. <laughs> like the inability to see God, we don't see gravity. We only see evidence of gravity. And yet everybody believes in gravity. The list goes on and on and on. You have so many reasons to put your hope in the Lord, to put your trust in God, 
not to doubt the scriptures, but to hold truly to it. Chapter 66 of Isaiah. Let's go there. We'll close here. I know Courtney hates when I preach short sermons. And it's only been 28 minutes, but since campus house church, amen. amen. I know the, the, the mind can only take what the seat can endure. Okay. Isaiah 66, verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God's looking at our hearts. And you've got to ask yourself this morning, are you humble and contrite in your heart? Do you tremble at the word of God? I mean, before every sermon, is it more like, Oh, boy, here we go again. Or is it like, oh, I can't wait to get into the word of God. I can't wait to be taught from the word of God. We need to be humble and contrite and tremble at God's word. Verse 19. I will set a sign among them. And I will send some of those who survived the nations to Tarshish, to Libyans and Lydians, famous as archers, to Tubal and Greece. And to the distant lands that have not heard my fame or seen my glory, they will proclaim my glory from the nations. And they will bring all the brothers from all the nations to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord on horses, on chariots, and wagons, and on mules and camels, says the Lord. They will bring them as the Israelites bring the grain offerings to the temple, to the Lord in ceremonial clean vessels. And I will select some of them also to be priests and Levites, says the Lord, as the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord. You will, uh, so will your name and your descendants for endure. Man, Courtney told me I need glasses, and I, I totally agree. <laughs> Let's start back in verse 22, amen? As the new heavens and new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and the descendants endure. From one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. And they will go out and look upon the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. Their worm will not die, nor will their fire be quenched, and they will be loathsome to all mankind. Isaiah said, and that settles it. What do we learn right here? God has a tremendous plan, yeah. an awesome plan. Ultimate, ultimately, that his people will endure forever. If they maintain their humble and contrite spirit and tremble at God's word, God will lift them up, bring them to the new Jerusalem, and together we will rejoice in heaven. Don't put your hope in a career, in a person, in your bank accounts, in a friend, in a family member, put your hope in the Lord. And when you do so, you will be pleased. 
and God will as well. Let me tell you, you know, the Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know why our world is so sick? You know why sin is so prevalent? You know why marriages are so broken? Because people's hope is not in the Lord. You know, in conclusion, we need to understand, Isaiah said a lot of stuff. But Isaiah said, you got to repent. Isaiah said, you got to get baptized. And Isaiah said, never lose hope. And really that discusses each and every one of us in some way. Maybe you're in a place where you just got to change your life and get right with the Lord. Maybe it's about time that you get baptized. Maybe you've been baptized. You just got to keep the hope and put your hope in the Lord. You know, my encouragement for the campus ministry, we've only got three weeks left till the year is over. 2018 was an interesting year. It was an interesting year. I, I think it's easy to imagine that 2019 is going to be a little more amazing. I mean, it's going to be incredible. My prayer is that the campus ministry goes into the new year as a unit, as a robot, if you will. When we are working together, pounding on all cylinders, that we can be the body of Christ marching into the new year and see what God is going to do through us. If Isaiah said it, that settles it. Let's repent. Let's get baptized. Let's put our hope in the Lord and see what God does in 2019. Amen.